Well, good morning. It's great to have a chance to share with you this morning. Um, as Steve said, my name is Scott Hardaway, for those of you who may not know me. And this is my wife, Noelle. And this is our oldest son, Jared, who is 11 now. And Caleb, who is 6. And, uh, and I just wanted you to be able to see them so that you can put uh, faces with our names. You guys can... Put back down. But, um, we are uh, members here at Northview. We've attended here for the last a uh, little over two years now. Some of you may remember a series that I preached here uh, about a year ago now called Lessons from the Pit. It was about the things that God taught me in the wake of the death of my first wife to cancer. And at the end of that series, I, in the last week of that series, I announced that God was calling me and my new family to, to be missionaries in Papua New Guinea. Back then, we had just made that decision, so we didn't have a lot of details, we didn't have a lot of information, but we have spent pretty much the last year really busy recruiting prayer partners, raising financial support, receiving training for the ministry that we're going to be going over there to do and, and making arrangements to move to the other side of the planet, which as I'm finding out involves more than just packing up a U-Haul and then unpacking when you get there. Uh, it's, a, it's a little bit more detailed than that. And life in Papua New Guinea is, is very different than life in the States, as you might imagine. So if you look on the, the map on the screen there, if you can identify through your world geography, Seattle, Washington, up in the upper left corner there, and then Papua New Guinea, which is literally and figuratively the ends of the earth for us, clear across to the other corner of the planet. I'm grateful for Pastor Steve for inviting me to come and share with you, our church family, about our progress, and then also to invite you to partner with us to help us make it there by next November, which is our target departure date. Before we get into all that, though, I want to share just a little bit first about why we're going there. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Mark chapter 13. Mark 13 is where we're going to be this morning. You know, Jesus is ruthless when it comes to destroying people's worldviews. In Mark 12, the chapter right before our passage, we see Jesus debating with the Pharisees and the Herodians and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law. And those were four different groups that existed within Judaism at that time. And they had different ideas and different values and different theologies, but they, and they had hardly anything in common with each other. But the one thing that they did have in common was that they all hated Jesus. For different reasons and in different ways, Jesus and his message were a threat to their power and their influence and their status. So in Mark chapter 12, we see Jesus debating with them in the temple courts, all four of these various groups. They take their turns trying to, to outwit and outmatch Jesus. And every single time Jesus comes out on top. And I can just imagine the disciples sitting there watching the back and forth, sitting in the front row of this verbal UFC prize fight and being like, oh yeah, we're with him. That's right, uh-huh. You know it. 
we are on the good side. We are on the right side. We know what's going on. And we're with him. He's our champion. And so they were feeling pretty good about themselves at the end of Mark chapter 12. But you see, Jesus wasn't done busting up worldviews. In the temple courts, he had dealt with the Pharisees and the Herodians and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law. But now as they left, it was time for him to blow up his own disciples. So let's take a look at Mark 13. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Now, you have to understand this temple where they were was absolutely gorgeous. It was exquisitely decorated. It was elaborate. Practically everything was covered in gold. Not only that, it was the center of worship for the entire nation of Israel. It was, it was the symbol for them of God's presence on the earth. It was the one place where they felt closest to God. And from a Jewish perspective, it was the one location where heaven and earth intersect. The place from which God exercises his authority over and works out his plan for the entire earth. That and more is what the temple symbolized for Jews of Jesus' day, and especially for his disciples, his followers. And so this disciple is saying, Jesus, what a great place to do battle with these religious leaders and to come out on top and to show yourself to be the one who is approved by God. To be the one that God's blessing is on. That you represent God faithfully and they don't. What a magnificent place to come out on top. So let's see what Jesus has to say about that. Verse 2. You see all these great buildings? Jesus replied. Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. Boom. This temple, this thing here, this pile of bricks, don't be impressed by this flimsy thing. It's not going to last. It's coming down. This is nothing special. Now, I think with those words, Jesus thrust the whole group into silence. They were struggling to make sense of what he was talking about. Now, this was near the end of Jesus' three years of ministry, just a few days before he would be crucified, in fact. And the disciples had learned by now not to be too quick to speak because none of them wanted to become the next object lesson. So they just started walking east from Jerusalem back toward Bethany where they were staying. And that would have led them to descend down the steep path into the Kidron Valley and then back up the Mount of Olives. And as they climbed that, that hill, Jesus decided to take a rest. And he sat down. And that's where the next part of this conversation picks up. Verse 3, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, looking back at the temple across the Kidron Valley, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things happen? What will be the sign that they're about to be fulfilled? And it's interesting, I think, 
that the question on the disciples' minds was when. They didn't, know, they, they didn't want to know why the temple was going to be destroyed. They didn't ask who was going to do this or how. They wanted to know when. You see, during their walk, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, I think, had been trying to make sense of Jesus' prediction. Maybe they whispered quietly to themselves. And they certainly would have known that throughout Israel's history, whenever the temple had been destroyed, because it had happened a few different times over the course of Israel's history, and they knew every time that happened, it was a result of God's judgment on his people for their unfaithfulness. And Jesus had just gotten done dramatically demonstrating the corruption and the falseness and the error of all the various current religious leaders. The biggest indicator of their unfaithfulness was that they rejected the authority of Jesus, whom the disciples knew was the chosen Messiah of God. So in their minds, they're saying, God is going to exercise judgment against the ruling class. And it will come through the destruction of the temple. He must be talking, they probably reasoned, about the coming military battle that Jesus would wage to overthrow the corrupt temple system, to seize control of the apparatus of government, take his place on the throne as the rightful ruler over God's people. That's when the temple would be destroyed. So they didn't ask who and they didn't ask how. They asked when. Because you see, the disciples saw themselves as part of an earthly movement with political ambitions for a physical government. They had no mental framework for thinking of anything else. So the disciples understood Jesus to be talking about the end of the Roman Empire occupying the land of Israel and Jesus inaugurating his visible kingdom, which apparently involved blowing up this entire corrupt temple system. That's what they understood Jesus to be saying. And yet right now where they sat, all that seemed so far away. The entire religious and political structure was opposed to Jesus and opposed to them. How on earth would they ever be able to turn the tables? How would they ever amass enough of a following to put together an army to overthrow the Roman Empire? How long was this going to take? How long would they have to wait wandering from place to place? poor, disfavored, powerless. So they discussed it among themselves. Do you think he means soon? I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. Well, why don't you ask him? I'm not going to ask him. You ask him. I'm not going to ask him. You ask him. Okay, let's all ask him. And so all four of them go to Jesus and they ask him, when? Now, Jesus, of course, knows what they're thinking, but he also knows that his kingdom is not of this world, that the coming destruction of the temple, which would occur in 70 AD, would come at the hands of the Romans, putting down a Jewish rebellion, not by him and his disciples in some sort of quest for earthly power. So he mashes together some things that are pretty near at hand, like the destruction of the temple, and some things that are further out, the establishment of Jesus' kingdom in its fullness. 
Theologians call this telescoping. It's bringing faraway events close so that they're all discussed together in the same passage. It's a common feature that is employed by many Old Testament prophets, and Jesus uses that same strategy here when he is talking about the destruction of the temple and the establishment of his kingdom, which the disciples think are linked together, but Jesus knows are separated. So verse 5, Jesus said to them to answer their question, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, claiming I am he, and will deceive many. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen. But the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginnings of the birth pangs. It's just the beginning. False prophets, false movements, war, famine, earthquakes, disaster. These are things we're all familiar with, aren't they? Jesus is saying that the world is going to continue doing what the world does. But don't be alarmed. Don't be alarmed. This is not the end. This is not the time my kingdom gets established. And more importantly, it's not the way that my kingdom gets established. And just as an aside, I want to say, it seems like everyone is either alarmed or relieved by the results of the most recent election in our country. But we need to remember that the nations of the world, including the great United States, are of no importance to God. He regards them as dust on the scales. We should never see the safety or success of God's kingdom as dependent on the outcome of any election. So the disciples found themselves in this framework of placing all of their hopes and dreams and and political ambition. Sometimes we ourselves find ourselves in that same position. I think it's a normal and natural thing to do because it's so visible. It's something that we can see. It's tangible in our lives. But Jesus is saying, no, that is not the way my kingdom works. So how does Jesus instruct us, his disciples, his followers, to live in this world as we await and pray for and eagerly anticipate the coming of his kingdom in its fullness? Verse 9. You must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. The gospel must first be preached all nations. And the word that's used there is the Greek word ethne. It's not talking about the the geographical and political boundaries of, of countries. It's talking about ethnic groups, languages, cultures, every language group. The gospel will go to every language group in the world. So the disciples say political power. And Jesus says, preach the gospel. They say, how long? Jesus says, don't be alarmed. 
They say, what's the sign? And Jesus says, missions. The sign of the coming of God's kingdom and its fullness is the worldwide penetration of the gospel to every tribe, every tongue, every nation. This is the task that Jesus has given to his church. It's the basic reason that we're here. You see, there are only two things that we can do here on earth that we're not also going to be doing for all of eternity. Worship, we're going to be worshiping God forever. Serve, we're going to serve God forever. Fellowship, loving people, encouraging each other. We'll do that forever and ever and ever in all of eternity. Now, I'm not in any way at all against worship or loving people or serving. But there are only two things that you can do here on earth that you're not also going to be doing for all of eternity in heaven. One of those things is to sin. There's no sin in heaven. And the second thing is to introduce people to Jesus Christ and to bring them into God's kingdom. Those are the only two things that you can do here on earth that you won't be doing for all of eternity. And let me tell you, Jesus did not leave us here to sin. He left us here to bring people into his great and glorious kingdom. The reason for the existence of the church of Jesus Christ on earth is to draw people to God through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. There is a mission. And that mission is not to live in big houses or drive new cars or have happy families or climb the career ladder or cheer for the Seahawks or keep ourselves safe and preserve the little treasures that we've somehow managed to accumulate along the way. Now, none of those things are inherently wrong. But they're not the mission. Those are not the things that God has left us here to do. And so they are valuable only to the extent that they help us accomplish the mission, which is to win this world to Christ. The gospel must be preached to all nations. It must be. And we only have this life to do it. When we get to heaven, it's too late. There is an urgency for this task in a way that there is not urgency for any other thing that we do. And so in this hour, when the entire planet is obsessed with American politics and what the world is going to look like when Donald Trump is inaugurated president in January, what I would love to see is the church to say, we don't care. We're not alarmed and we're not relieved because this man does not carry the banner of Christ. The kingdom of God doesn't come this way. There will be wars and disasters, but we're going to continue carrying out the task that God has left us here to accomplish. We're going to preach the gospel to the nations because you see God's plan is not worked out through a temple. It's not worked out through a government. It's worked out only through the church taking the gospel to every corner of the world. So this is why we're going. Because God has called us to this task. 
So why Papua New Guinea? Well, there are some reasons that God has led us here. First, PNG is the most linguistically diverse place on earth. There are over 800 languages that are spoken there on that tiny island. And in the Finisterre mountain range where we're going to be serving, there are 53 language groups where there are no Christians, no churches, no Bibles, and no missionaries. Completely unreached, completely unengaged, with absolutely no chance, no opportunity to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ because there's no one there to tell them. Not a single person. And where the door is closed to the gospel in many places around the world, where it's dangerous and difficult, many of these groups are actually begging for missionaries to come. The nation of Papua New Guinea welcomes missionaries. They're glad to have missionaries come. And these language groups are asking for missionaries. They're saying, will somebody please send us a missionary so that we can hear this message from God that we have heard other people have heard about, but no one has come to tell us. Will someone please come? They're starving for the gospel. They're begging for the gospel. And no one will go to them. There are more tribes asking for missionaries than there are missionaries willing to go to them. It absolutely breaks our hearts. And so we're going. We will go. We'll spend the first six months of our time in Papua New Guinea in orientation. And then we'll be, uh, when we finish our orientation, we'll be going out into different villages and doing surveys to see which villages want us to come. They would accept a missionary to come into their, into their village and move in with them. And of the ones that are open to receiving a missionary, then we'll go back and we'll pray about where it is exactly that God is leading us to. And when we determine that, then we will make plans to move into that village. We'll build a house. And we will learn the language and the culture. We'll spend two years doing that. Learning the language and the culture so that we can become fluent. And that we can share the gospel with them in their native language. In the way that makes the most sense to them. We will teach the people literacy We'll teach them how to read and write so that when they receive the Bible, they'll be able to read it. We'll begin translating the Bible and then we'll share and teach Bible lessons leading up to the gospel. Introducing them first to who God is and our need for a Savior and then introducing them to Jesus. And of course... The hope is that at that point they would receive the gospel, they would respond to it. They would become Christians and then we would have a fledgling church on our hands. And so we will begin instructing them in what it means to live out the Christian life, to grow in their relationship with God, to be led by the Holy Spirit. We'll identify leaders, we will train them and equip them 
and raise them up and begin passing off ministry responsibility to them. And slowly we'll phase out and turn over more and more responsibility to them until there is a self-supporting, self-governing, self-reproducing church that we leave behind. That's our vision. And we're going to spend the next 10 to 12 years of our lives doing that. That's what we've been in training for the past year to learn how to do, to go through every single one of those steps. What do we do at this point? What do we do at this point? How do we get from here to here? What are the logistical hurdles? What are the issues that are involved? We've been receiving in-depth training, specifically on how to bring the gospel to the people of the Finisterre Mountains. But one of the things that has really hit me as we've been learning about all of this is just how completely impossible this is going to be for us to do it by ourselves. We're going to be relying in large measure on you, our sending church. And there are a number of ways that you can not only help us, but actually join us. And and to me, there's a big difference, because if you help us, then that means you're just sort of giving us a shot in the arm, a little push, and, and then the rest is up to us. But if you join us, then you're in it with us all the way through from beginning to end. And what we would love more than anything is to have you be in it with us. So I want to talk just a little bit about what that looks like and some of the ways that you can not just help us, but join us. Steve already mentioned the, the prayer card that's in your bulletin. I would really encourage you to take this home and to put it somewhere that you're going to see it. Put it on your fridge. Put it on your bathroom mirror. Put it on the visor of your car or hang it up in your cubicle at work on the wall. Somewhere that you're going to see it every day. What I would ask is that when you see it, that you would pray for us. That you would remember to lift us up in prayer. We need prayer. We can't do this without God's strength, without God's blessing, without God's power. And that comes through his people praying. If you want to be able to pray for us specifically, then I want to ask you to, here it is, to take to this, this piece of paper, this insert, and give us your email address. Uh, that's listed on here. Please write legibly so that we can read it. We've gotten email addresses from some people and we take our best guess at what they've written down and then we get bounce backs and those people can't pray for us because we can't read their email address. So please write it in a way that we can read it. And we will add you to our monthly email newsletter. We send it out at the beginning of every month and we have specific ways that you can pray for us. Here's what's going on this month. Here are the things that are happening in our lives, here's where we're at in our progress, and here's how much further we have to go, and, and we ask for people to support us in prayer. So if you would like to pray for us, specifically every month, give us your email address. We would love to have you join our team, our prayer team. The second way that you can join us is by giving. Uh, we don't have the financial resources ourselves to fund this, so we need help. We have $75,000 in startup costs that Pastor Steve mentioned. And, and that goes to things like our plane tickets and our visas to get over there. Uh, 
the training that we'll be receiving, our orientation course that we, that we received there in Papua New Guinea, as well as uh, the cost of buying our building materials to, to build our house when we move into the village. All of those sort of initial startup costs is what that goes for. And uh, if you're able to, to give now, you can do that through the church with the thank offering. And you just make your check out to the church and, and the church will pass that on and, and put that in our startup fund. Or if you want to hang on to this longer, if, if now is not a good time for you, but you want to give later, uh, you can give a one-time gift and, and mark that down uh, and then make that check out later, not to the church, but to Finister Vision. And the information is, is located there on the bottom of the card. That's the mission agency that we're going with. Or maybe you want to become a, a regular monthly supporter and you do that through Finister Vision as well. And the information is, is here on the card. And then finally, there's the table out in the lobby with the various items that we need or things that would be really, really useful for living off-grid in the jungle. Um, as, we've, as we're discovering, life in, in uh, the jungle of Papua New Guinea is a little different than life here in the Northwest. And so things that we don't have, like solar-powered flashlights and mosquito nets, will come in really handy over there. So um, if you take a card and purchase something for us. I want you to know that that is a tax-deductible donation. Uh, not through the church, though, but it will be through Finister Vision. So what you need to do is just uh, give us a copy of the receipt or the original receipt if you don't want to keep it, but all we need is a copy. And you can email that to us or, or whatever, it, or you can deliver it to us physically, whatever is most convenient for you. But we need the, the copy of the receipt and then your name and mailing address. And we will make sure that all that information gets translated over to Finister Vision and they will issue you a tax-deductible uh, receipt at the end of the year. Also, uh, I just want to add that there are some items out on the table that maybe you already have. We definitely do not need all brand new things. Uh, so if you have like a tarp, is, I know is one of the things that's on the list, if you have that in your garage and you're not using it and it works just fine, we will gratefully receive and accept with gratitude anything that you have that, that you think would be uh, useful for us. And, and if, it's, if it's used, that's, that's fine with us. If you're bringing things to the church, there will be a bin out in the lobby for you to just put those things in, but not until step-by-step step is done. So uh, don't bring anything to the church this week. There's no room for it. There's nowhere to put it. Uh, but after step-by-step step is over, beginning next Sunday, there will be a bin out in the lobby if there are things that you want to drop off for us. So those are the ways that you can give. And then the other way that you can join us is by going. There are really three options. There's a short-term, a medium-term, and a long-term if you want to go to Papua New Guinea. The short-term is to help us build our house. When it comes time to, to building a house, um, we're going to need help, especially if you have a background in carpentry or electrical work or plumbing work. Uh, those things will be really handy and useful, and we would appreciate it if you have about three weeks to be able to take off of work to, to head out to Papua New Guinea and help us construct our house. So if that's something that we're not asking for commitments right now, but if that's something you think you might be interested in, then, then check that box and let us know. Or there's also... Um, uh, a position available called logistics coordinator, and that's, that'll be for six months. There's already a logistics coordinator 
that's out there in Papua New Guinea, and they handle things like logistics, uh, transportation, and and moving supplies, and making sure that um, that the missionaries that are living in the tribe have food and and uh, the things that they need, and they also handle paperwork and and all sorts of other stuff like that. So if you're gifted in administration, if you're good at planning and arranging and, and logistics, if that's something that that God has gifted you with, you can use your gift for six months in Papua New Guinea if you're able to, to take time and, and to head over there. There's an opportunity for you to serve in a short-term missions experience. And you'll receive training on that. They don't just fly you out to Papua New Guinea and drop you off and say, good luck, figure it out. Uh, there's, there's, there's training to help prepare you for that. Or uh, maybe you feel God calling your heart to go long-term, to do the same kind of thing that, that God is calling us to do. Maybe God is calling you to a 10- to 12-year commitment, to bring the gospel to an unreached people group. And if that is, we would love to talk with you about that as well, too. So just let us know. And, and when you're done filling out that insert, you can just drop it off in any of the, the offering boxes that are located on the back, or you can bring it back with you next week or a couple of weeks from now, or whatever. Um, take it home and pray about it, or, or turn it in, whatever uh, God is leading you to do. I also want to just let you know, we're not relying just on you guys. Uh, we are also talking with other churches and other individuals and people, inviting people to come and join us. We already have 10,000 of our 75,000 raised. So that's, that's where we're at now. We have the rest to go over the coming year. And um, we also have $1,000 of our 6000 a month that's, that's been pledged and committed. Uh, and so that's coming in. So we are on our way. And God is providing for us. We're not expecting this church to carry the entire load. But I also want to say this is our church. You are our family. And so we are inviting you to join us in a way that other people can't. We can't do this on our own. It's too big, and so we really do need you to be in it with us. And we think this is worth investing in. We think that this is worth giving our lives to. And we think it's worth joining us in it. You know, like everything else, missions is moving and changing faster than it ever has in the history of the world. More information, more coordination, more utilization of technology has put the church on the edge of being able to complete the Great Commission. There are, there are people who study missions, and a lot of them believe that the Great Commission can be completed in this next generation. The great thing about playing on Jesus' team is that we already know the final score. There will come a day when every group on earth has responded to the gospel and there will be a generation, whether it's this one or the next one, but there will be a generation that pushes the ball across the goal line into the end zone and spikes it in Satan's face and says, mission accomplished. Every tribe, every nation, every tongue is represented in God's great and glorious kingdom. And that's what we want to be a part of And we want to invite you to join us in being a part of it. See, the church of Jesus Christ cannot fail. Because we are always on offense, we are never on defense, and we never go backwards. This is how God's kingdom comes. 
It's through the church acting as one body, each member doing its part to reach the world with the gospel of Christ. We love this church. And that's why we want to invite you to join us in moving one step closer to seeing the Father's great vision for humanity accomplished. So we just want to say thank you. Thank you for partnering with us.